bit about your day and so I can get your levels. I woke up and had a beet, turmeric, ginger, lemon, orange, and coconut water drink I made. Mm -hmm. Went on a walk in my hood, made, made a matcha latte, took a shower, came and drove over to you. So far, are those levels good? Do you want me to keep talking? They're great. A fresh and organic moment in the Very morning. fresh and organic moment, yeah. Do you have a juicer? I got rid of my juicer because it was such a pain in the ass to clean. Mm-hmm. I just use my Vitamix. And I think I think that extra fiber is good for you. Yeah. It gets a good like sweep through the system. Yeah. And I grow my own, all my own vegetables and fruits. Really? So, so mm-hmm. you're like fully gardening I'm self-sustaining. I'm fully gardening and self-sustaining. Yeah. It's like I've grown, I grew up really, my, my mom grew our vegetables and fruits like growing up Mm -hmm. and was really into natural healing. So it's just always been part of my life. And I got into sort of the magical elements of plants and, and homeopathy when I was like, like a preteen. So yeah, I'm now that I have my own place. It's really that's amazing. Yeah, it's a big part of my life. What are the magical elements of plants? I need to know more about plant magic. Well, it's like, I mean, for example, I have 26 rose bushes okay. um, that my grandmother, some of them my grandmother planted in the 30s mm-hmm. and some my mom planted in the 80s that I transplanted from my dad's house when he died. Um, and they sat in um, pots at my friend's house for like a year and a half while I looked for a house. So those to me, that's like my prized possession or my roses. Yeah. Because, um, like I feel a lot more attachment to nature than I do to, you know, the house I grew up in, for example, roses are a very magical. So any plant that you like could be a magical plant. Yeah. Um, I definitely did plant my garden with like protection herbs and magical herbs in certain places. Mm -hmm. Um, so like the basics, like a magical feng shui kind of. Yeah. Um, so when, you know, so like rosemary, um, which is a really common plant here in Southern California too, is great. It's great for purifying. Um, it's great to cook with. It's a protection plant. Lavender, which is also really common in Southern California and across a lot of the U S and Europe, um, is a really good, um, it's a good protection plant too, but you can use it. You can cook with it. You can drink with it. It smells good. You can put it in your bath. Mm -hmm. And then I have things that are more witchy plants like rue, which is sort of an unusual plant. Like in certain places I have different trees and plants that are dedicated to different goddesses and like Venus. I mean, there's so many great books on, on plant, plant magic and plant medicine. I love it. Comfrey is another good one. Which one? What's it called? Comfrey, which is known as knit bone. Okay. And also um, gum. Um, uh, it has. It also is good for gums too. Um, but that's like a that's a great plant for healing too. I just recently, like last summer, got into plants and started kind of buying them to put out on my patio and in my house. And I'd taken care of some plants before, but like hadn't really like gone ham. And so now I'm trying to figure out like after a year of keeping certain plants alive and realizing which plants I thought I liked, but didn't really like that much. Like I'm looking to expand my plant. Your plant horizon. Yeah. Because so I feel like right now, I've had like a connection with money trees Mm -hmm. and 
the money trees in my life like ebb and flow. So I had one for a long time, like five years ago. And then when I went through like a period of deep financial crisis, like the money tree fully started to die and then did die. But also it's like, I think there's something subconscious as well, because if a plant's dying in your ownership, like you're the person that's supposed to be kind of nurturing it and taking care of it. So it was like a parallel, a weird parallel thing. And then now I have another money tree that's bigger that kind of coincided with the same time I like started my business and then like built it up. But I've noticed that it's health kind of, it's like, in waves it's not nearing death by any means think fuck but like it's definitely like i think it's connected somehow. but sometimes also is literally a question of like i've had things that do really crops that do really well one season in my garden and then don't do the next and i mean you can really see climate change mm-hmm. um when you grow your own food too yeah. because you know the heat is scorching my roses it's you know it's scorching my cabbage last year you know um yeah it's quite sad when mm-hmm. you see like the literal effects just in the last like two years um and sometimes plants just don't thrive um you know, unless they're like full sun or, yeah, you know, you never know. Yeah. I've like, I've got, can't always blame yourself is my point. No, I don't. That's right. I'm taking on a little too much maybe yeah. with the money tree, <laughs> but like, I feel like there is more, like I feel a connection with plants, I guess that I never really felt before. So I'm excited to like expand my own plant horizon. Yeah. I'm growing cannabis for the first time and I've always been a, cannabis user since i was a teenager i'm not really a drinker mm-hmm. um but this is the first time i've grown it is um, it hard to grow n- i'm growing a cbd dominant plant and then i just started a thc dominant plant and um no it's not that hard but it does require a lot of care mm-hmm. i'm about like two and a half weeks away from harvest on my cbd plant oh cool so that's kind of it's really fun to like you know, grow something new and learn about it and figure out like what area of the garden it wants to be in. And yeah, the plants need like their own special place. Oh, for sure. And then I'm a big believer, like with my roses, they weren't doing that well after my dad died when I transplanted them. So I would go to my friend's house like three to four times a week. I would spit in all the roots <laughs> to mix my DNA. Yeah. Uh, that's important because like... Really? Yeah. You know, when um like little kids, you know, parents will chew their food mm-hmm. and then give it to them. Yeah. And that's literally like love and DNA mixed in the saliva mm-hmm. that you're passing on. So I would spit in the roots you baby birded i baby birded my roses (laughs) and i burned palo santo and they have my friends have four little girls so like they got into doing it with me and we you know i really do believe that that helped bring the roses back to life Mm -hmm. i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com/people today Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that plant segue into my introduction. 
You're listening to Babe, a podcast about all sorts of babes. I'm your host, Lars Marie, and with me today is Liz Goldwyn. Hi. Hi. I'm really excited you're here. You're doing, you have like, we weirdly have like a lot of mutuals, mm-hmm. but this is my first time meeting you. So it's we're like social media moment. followers, mm-hmm. social media followers. And then you're doing a lot of really like cool work. So I'm glad that you wanted to also do this podcast. Yeah, thank you. You have recently started like in the past year and some change the sex ed mm-hmm. and you're a big advocate of sexual health, an advocate for sex workers, sex positivity. And I think that that's like so important right now because I don't know about how you were raised, but I was raised with like not a lot of sex positivity. I actually bought the domain names for the sex ed and the sex ed show in 2008. Mm-hmm. And I knew I wanted to make this much earlier than that. And my first job was at Planned Parenthood at 13. So I had a mo- my mom was what worked with Planned Parenthood and is very like flag waving feminist, you know, gave me Betty Friedan um, and Colette books when I was little was like, never be financially dependent on a man. Don't get married until you're 40. Mm-hmm. Um which I, I mean, I actually met my ex-husband at 18 so it, and loved pink and corsets. So that was, took her a while to get, you know, kind of understand that. And then my dad was a total Playboy. Yeah. Um, who I would steal his Playboy magazine. So I had both extremes growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, I had one parent who was very on the political side of sexuality and like reproductive justice and then a dad who loved women yeah um so i was kind of navigating my way in between but could early on see wow people have a lot of like shame and fear and trauma around this subject even my own parents yeah in the way that it manifests and when i was at planned parenthood i answered phones in the clinic in santa monica and then i organized their media library So like all these kids my age would come in looking for information. And then because of what I did, always at like school at recess, they would ask me questions about like how to give a blowjob. And it's not like I knew personally, Mm -hmm. you know, but I just had access to information and experts. And then adults would come in to Planned Parenthood because this is pre-Google. There was no Google. Um, And so they would check out like VHS tapes and pamphlets and books so they could talk to their kids who were my age about like puberty and sex. Yeah. So I was like, there need, I was, I realized that there needed to be a comprehensive, easily accessible database that could be anonymous where you could find out information. So it's been like a long time in the making. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't launch it until really like post Trump. Me too. Time's up. Yeah. Um, that felt like the right time. Well, I had written two books about sexuality, fiction and nonfiction. Um, the first one is about the last generation of American burlesque queens, mm-hmm. and the advent of striptease, pretty things. And then I made a documentary on that. And then I, my last book was about sex work in LA in the 1890s called Sporting Guide. And throughout, so that's like what I started in the late 90s in researching burlesque so my entire career i was told why do you care about old strippers why do you care about dead prostitutes you know i'm like why wouldn't you care about those things i'm talking about like my because i also had simultaneously a career for money in fashion and beauty and stuff so Mm -hmm. there was just no 
There was no goop. There was no yoni egg. You know, there was no, no. there was no space. In e- there was no like sort of wellness even. I think even it's very recent for sexual wellness to be considered even adjacent to wellness. One of my biggest obsessions is like the war that's going on between like the yoni egg community, like more holistic sexual health versus like hardcore medical. Like Jen Gunter. Yeah. And like, because I followed this woman. I don't know if you know who Kim Anami is. Mm -hmm, Okay. She is my queen. And she's all about like the yoni egg. She like lifts weights with her vagina yep. for any readers that aren't in the know. You need to look her up. She can lift skate, but it's not skateboard surfboard. A surfboard. Yeah. She can hold it. She says that she moved furniture with her vagina and I believe her. She is like the world's strongest vagina. That's that I don't recommend that for everybody because yeah, I think it, everybody's vagina is different. <laughs> and sometimes overworking your pelvic floor is not right for some people. Yeah. But for her, it seems to be really like, popping off yes and so she's a big she's also like a sex educator in terms of like learning how to have cervical orgasms and all different kinds of pleasure for both men and women and jen gunter is obviously like the she's the doctor that came out against my queen gwyneth who and said that like yoni eggs are terrible you shouldn't ever use them and was sued her i think for like pseudoscience or was Mm -hmm. part of that so it's just like an ongoing conversation. Well, that, yeah. I mean, with our site, which so we have, a, so we're multi-channel platform. So we have our website where we have essays written by experts that are pretty deep dives into everything from anal sex 101 to prostate pleasure to pre and postpartum yoga, periods, um, et cetera. And then we have live talks and events a number of which there's videos on the site and then we have a weekly podcast. Um, well, it's not, I mean, we have seasons, not like unlike yours. So yeah. we've, we're just our next week is our season finale actually. Mm-hmm. So we marry, um, there are things that I do in my personal life that are more holistic, yeah. but I wouldn't present them on the sex ed unless it's really backed by science. Yeah. So my, when I think like spaces like a goop, for example, where they went wrong is they didn't embrace scientists and doctors and medical experts in addition to field workers. And I'm talking about people in the adult space, sex workers, dominatrixes, covering fetish, because you can't, it's not a one size fits all yeah. sex. So someone may be super holistic and that may be good for them or, you know, but, and then someone may be super medical, but you've got to find your own way in it. What we try to do is present information. Mm-hmm. But I can't present information as fact yeah. if it's not, you know, if it doesn't have some... And you don't present it with like, a. it's not necessarily like a branded slant that's pushing an agenda, which I think that Goop does definitely Well, we is don't like, sell anything yeah. on the site. That's not how we, mon- we monetize in other ways. So we are very specific about, about that. We have mm-hmm. a lot of companies you know, wanting to advertise, I'd rather, most of our brand partnerships are totally outside of the sex space. Yeah. Actually, there's products that we recommend, um, but we've tested those products. They're products that, you know, either us or our experts really like and use. And we explain, we wouldn't just say, for example, like just use oil-based lube. Mm -hmm. We'd say, here are the all different types of lubes that you could use. Here are like top ones that we recommend that are like water-based or oil-based. And here's why you may or may not want to use this type of lube as opposed to, 
you know, yeah, having an agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because I'm coming at it from, I'm not coming at it from trying to, I'm not trying to sell you a yoni egg. Yeah. You know, you don't have like an e-commerce element to this. We just have our, we just have our merch, Mm -hmm. um, which is like t-shirts and tote bags. And we have, we have a bookshelf, which, which we recommend like literature. We like history. Um, you can choose like sex, health and consciousness or literature history sections. And that those are like affiliate linked through Amazon. But I mean, as you may know, affiliate links, it's like, literally yeah you know two cents or something yeah um so that's not really the core of our business and i and there's no books on there that i haven't read Mm -hmm. and recommended or you know if someone we work with or we cover writes a book we'll put it up but we'll review it and we have someone independent write a review yeah i'm a very like self appointed goop head that's like pretty clear like i make that pretty clear but like as you were talking, I realized that one of the things I really don't get that I would love more of in that space and that you have a lot of on your site and in your podcast is like conversations with sex workers and porn stars. And I think that's such a necessary part of the entire conversation about sex. Well, not to say that I don't like Goop because I'll totally look at Goop for like, oh, I wonder what you know, wellness places or uh, like she likes or stuff like that. And I think her business model is really interesting yeah. because she started as a newsletter and, mm-hmm. you know, we're essentially like a fancy blog at the moment. Yeah. Um, and they but, also are, they do incorporate conversations about sexual health and wellness and like vibrators and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But it all, it does seem sometimes and like to be, it's vanilla. It's vanilla. It's cleaned up. More. One, I don't think anybody wants a singular to celebrity to tell you how you should have sex. Mm-hmm. Um, because sex is a personal journey. We all have a sexual identity, like our thumbprint. Yeah. So we don't experience this the same way, the same way. We don't look at color the same way. Also, sex is dirty and messy and it's full of bodily fluids. And why would you shut out of the conversation people who have spent those 10,000 hours in the field, people who are having sex for a living? They have a lot to tell you about Mm -hmm. the human experience of sex. And they have a lot of great practical information. And that's what I want to provide people is I don't want it to feel scary or intimidating. You know, if if you want to try anal sex, but you're, you know, squeamish about it or you're like, and that's personally your total choice. Like we want to talk to you up front about, um, will it hurt? And what about the poo? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and those are not things that I, I think probably a site like that could get away with. Yeah. You know, is this just not built from the ground up with no. that intention? Goop isn't like a very poop friendly space. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's just, you know, it's like bodily fluids are really important to get in touch with. Yeah. Like uh, if you bleed and, you know, as many of us do mo- every month, it's crazy to think that we go to get like a physical once a year and we have to give a pee sample, mm-hmm. but we don't get asked. Even our gynecologists, I find, don't ask more than like, when was your last cycle? Yeah. But like, what about what's the color? What's the consistency? Was it light? Was it heavy? How many days did it last? You, re- I mean, we need to be more in touch with our poo, our blood. Like these things tell us about our health. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's no 
one size fits all for any of that stuff. It's like very unique to every person's experience. Totally. And also your sexual experience is evolving as you do. So what might float your boat or turn you on at one age is going to be totally different, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's cool to, detach yourself we were talking about buddhism before we started which is about detachment right yeah so to detach yourself from judgment and when you look at someone else instead of saying oh they're a sex worker i have nothing in common with their life instead just keep an open mind listen Mm -hmm. maybe you might find yourself to have more in common with someone from a different background or experience than you think yeah can we talk about like menstrual blood Mm -hmm. because i'm really intrigued by a like practices with menstrual blood and i haven't gotten into any but i feel like you might know something about that i just um got asked to do to give some quotes for a piece for teen vogue about like menstrual magic Mm -hmm. and um and it came out but they greatly reduced what i said because i I think they're a little freaked out when i was doing research i saw that (laughs) and i was like oh i love that but like would love to know more well again like as i said there's things that i think are really fascinating in my personal life or that friends of mine do that i wouldn't necessarily recommend on the site because they might because they're but i do come from a place of you need to be in touch with the way you bleed yeah um so I don't use a diva cup personally, mm-hmm. but like a lot of people like diva cups because they can literally see see their blood. Some people pour you like plants. Some people, you know, pour that into as fertilizer into yeah. plants. I did that with one plant like a few years ago and then it died. So I was like, hmm, that seems weird. And then that was like the last experiment with menstrual blood that happened. Yeah. So instead of judging it, like it's weird, just, huh, something to note. Like even when do you bleed? Like I, right now I just got my period early. So I'm going to be in tune with the new moon this Mm -hmm. weekend. So I notice like, am I bleeding with the full moon? Am I bleeding with the new moon? What, what's my experience of that? Like sometimes when I bleed with the full moon, it's a much more complicated period. It's, Mm -hmm. It's harder. It's heavier. Um, you can like in your shower if you know you can take blood and put it on your on your chakra points some people some people like to do that it's really personal if that idea of that freaks you out don't do it yeah how did you were you always like this like as a kid curious about sex and sexuality and like i'm curious about everything yeah. and everyone and i love my favorite places in the library mm-hmm. and both of my books were like close to 10 year heavily researched projects and like that's just i like talking to people i think everybody has a story i get really into whatever it is that i'm fascinated by botany or you know and just want to like seek out the you know i've been i've been into space for a long time Mm -hmm. so i was spending a lot of time at nasa jpl with the director of jpl like just learning about space and i ended up learning about a lot about the power of failure Mm -hmm. and experimentation so i just feel like you never know what you could learn and apply to your own life with sex yeah always always since i was a kid really really curious coming home and asking questions like stealing my parents books what was your first like exposure to knowledge of sex like, do you remember where you were when that happened? Um, definitely my dad's Playboys. Okay. Um, and this book, they had everything you ever wanted to know about sex, but were afraid to ask. Oh, yeah. 
And then they gave me these books about puberty and sex that had the actually our our episode this week is with Nick Kroll and Andrew Goldberg who have mm-hmm. Big Mouth, which I love, um, which is about puberty and it's animated and it turns out they have the same books. These like we these books, where do I come from and what's happening to me mm-hmm. that were drawn drawn. And I just felt like all the books that were designed for kids didn't have answers to the questions I wanted I wanted to know. And I didn't have internet back then. So imagine being a kid now growing up with access to the web and you're given you just are inundated with information. You're seeing porn before anyone's talking to you about sex. And your parents are so freaked out that they won't tell you anything. Yeah. So I was lucky that if I came home from school and I was like, what's a transsexual? And my mom would explain it to me and give me like a concrete example mm-hmm. of like some a public figure who was had had a an op- an operation, but and I think probably most people didn't have that experience. But that said, they didn't really sit me down and talk to me about the emotional intimate aspect of it. They didn't say, "Well, this is when you should have sex," or you know, "This is what it will feel like," or you know, all of those things. I had to figure out as we all do on our on my own. Yeah. That's so, like, it's cool that they were open about it, though. Yeah. And I think, like, for me, it's just about presenting information and letting people just... I think that what freaks us out and where we get into the shame, fear stuff is not having the information and the education. Mm -hmm. Just having it available, and then you can make your own decisions. And especially when you're a child or, like, a teenager a lot of the times it's just left to school to do that for you. But like, I don't think I really had any sex education at school and I was like at a private school and I think it was just like, it was, I don't even remember if we had it. And if we did the most, it was like they, we watched a video of childbirth and then they were like, use a condom and that was about it. And then everyone else is like, you know, around seventh or eighth grade is when girls and boys start being sexually active so then your only frame of reference for sex is like so and so like gave a blowjob in the bathroom and then it's like this secret shameful lol thing that's also you're like what is that like but then you don't want to be the one that's like giving the blowjob in the bathroom and getting talked about so it's very like a hush hush yeah i feel like it was like a lot of just like shame and lols about a lot of it and also it comes into play when we think about validation Mm -hmm. or we think about filling emptiness or loneliness right we use sex the same way that we would use food or drugs or alcohol almost mindlessly yeah and we think that someone being sexually attracted to us or you know is like I'm a, I'm valuable. I'm worthy. Instead of really teaching kids and ourselves at any age, self-love, getting to know ourselves. What are our pleasure points? Masturbation. What, how do, you know, how do, can we make ourselves come before we even introduce someone else into the mix? Yeah. Like I personally think that should be part of an age appropriate curriculum. Mm-hmm. Well, masturbation is so important. Mm-hmm. But and like, you would not, you'd be surprised how many people I vib- vibrators for that are in their thirties. Oh no. I mean, I feel like I hear more and more about women because I just feel like women are more, well, I don't know a man that's like never had an orgasm. I don't think that that's like possible. There are, we get, we get emails to the site every day. Yeah. Really? About yeah. like never having, they've never come. I mean, the sad thing is there are people walking around on this planet that say things like, I am worried that I'm not normal and I'm a virgin because my vulva is too small. Oh yeah. Like as if there's like 
a certain way that we're supposed to look mm-hmm. or wait or we were supposed to feel. So yeah, any, almost anything you could imagine about sex I've heard. Wow. Um, but I feel like I've heard a lot of women talking about like, they've never had an orgasm, but they've mm-hmm. been sexually active for years, Yep. which I guess I just didn't think was like a thing. But then, of course, everything's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. And I mean, again, that's I feel like how great would it be if we taught people to learn to love and cherish their bodies before they had and and give themselves body autonomy before they went out and started exploring with other people? Yeah. Because it's like, what is this expectation that someone else is going to teach you what turns you on? Mm -hmm. Like you're going to give that power to someone else? You can come to. And I also think it. Um, you know, I don't think that most of us are tapped into the, the, the potential of pleasure and to truly transcendent sexual experiences. Yeah. Because a lot of it comes from like, for example, Tantra, which is a whole other topic. And, um, you know, some people are like, Oh, Tantra, I've heard of it. Sting does that. Right. Yeah. But Tantra is the practice of Tantra really starts from getting in touch with yourself, doing a lot of exercises. So to get to the place where you can experience that orgasmic bliss with a partner, you have to be able to experience that orgasmic bliss solo. Mm -hmm. We have an essay on our site called Orgasmic Breathing, and I love to teach people orgasmic breath because people are like, what? You can bring yourself to orgasm hands-free just with breathing i listened to a youtube video about it once and it was wild you can it's i've done it i've done it it's It's amazing it's crazy and i wish that i had known that when i was like 13 totally like i was a pretty curious person like sexually so i feel like i self-discovered pretty quickly like about masturbation and stuff but it was not i was not in an environment where i could like openly chat with either of my parents about that so i feel like it always had to be it was like a secretive thing that like you don't talk about but that you're doing and then being like curious, like if other people are doing it or whatever, it feel it like perpetuates a feeling of like loneliness. Totally. Especially with women, because I think there's more cultural acceptance and like humor around men masturbating, like mm-hmm. the American Pie movies. Yeah. You know, which are so like when you revisit or just like the worst thing. Really problematic. Yeah. I remember being but I was always the kid that was super hyper aware of that at a young age. I remember being in the movie theater seeing um, like being like this road trip. This, oh yeah. You know, with mm-hmm. uh, Tom Green. With Tom Green and just being like, Ugh, this movie is terrible. These tropes, what it's teaching women and I was the same age probably or maybe a little younger as the kids in that movie, but I was so offended by it. Yeah. Um <laughs> which is like, yeah. I know. I feel like all the like late nineties, early two thousands movies were really like gung ho about that kind of humor. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're still getting to a point where it's okay to like ha- for women to talk about that kind of thing, like masturbation or yeah. like, pooping or porn, yeah, and porn, and like I don't know. People are so like just hate women talking about that kind of stuff. I mean, I thought Booksmart was a good and recent movie Mm -hmm. that kind of gave the, gave the female characters like uh, autonomy to talk about that stuff. I'm trying to think of what else I saw recently that was in that space, but yeah, we need more media. Yeah. And that's why also we use like a lot of animations and try to keep it entertaining Mm -hmm. because I don't want to preach, you know, 
Yeah. I think that's boring. I, I want to be like entertained by information. Mm-hmm. And also like I'm now thinking about growing up, like where I got my sexual information and it was always from like Cosmo <laughs> where I'd like read it, like get a magazine, like at the library and then read it. And like, it was just always how to please how to your please man. a man it was never about man. like having an orgasm on your own like i didn't even see like my own sexual behavior as like a preteen or teen reflected back at me yeah i had a strange experience because as i mentioned i got i met my ex-husband really young when i was 18 mm-hmm. did you guys get married quickly we got married when i was 24 okay um so i was with him from like 18 to 31 32. oh wow so i'm a very different person from you know in your from 18 to your early 30s and i also when i met him i was starting this project on burlesque and meeting and re- you know meeting all these women who were in their at that time 70s 80s and 90s who had been big stars of the 30s and 40s um and this was before like pussycat dolls burlesque was a thing like mm-hmm. people they were living in obscurity yeah. at the time and i got my sort of sexual education or coming of age in a way through these relationships through these older women but at the same time being a monogamous through in my entire 20s you know so it was like an interesting dichotomy of being able to explore that totally and and then being for the first time single in my early 30s and never had experienced really like date i remember my one of my brothers took my phone like right after i I had split up with my husband and i guess you know he was looking to see what men were texting me Mm -hmm. and he was like you can't write anyone back after like a certain time you know, like all these rules, like the rules of dating. And I was and like, like I politics, but I don't buy into any of that. I'm very much like, I'm going to do what I want when I want to do it. Mm-hmm. But I realized that like, I never got this book of rules, like where, who, who wrote it and where, who hands it out? Where do you get it? Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I remember reading like in college a book that was like called what was it called it was not tonight mr right and it was all about using sex to like game the relationship and basically it's like you don't give up sex until you've fully had like define the relationship and you are like monogamous and like have gotten what you want out of the relationship okay i slept with my ex-husband the first night i met him and I love stories <laughs> like that. Like, um, and my my most recent boyfriend. I also same thing. Like, our first date lasted three days. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I mean, but you know, I've had therapists tell me that that's not not the way to go. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm intuitive, and I I go from that. But that said, I've never had a one night stand. I'm I am like probably more of a 1950s like prude housewife in mm-hmm. my in my personal life, but. 
Yeah, I don't know. I think it's, I don't think there's rules. I've been in a total sexual, like, I guess self-imposed celibacy. I love a self-imposed celibacy. It wasn't really conscious, but then I realized like a year had gone by and I hadn't had sex with anyone. And now it's been like a year and a half and I'm kind of just like, that's fine. Like it doesn't bother me. And taking the time, I think, I mean, I'm writing a lot about my teen years where I was like very sexually promiscuous, but it was all pretty fun to me until I was like sexually assaulted. And then that I think changed like my relationship to sex as it obviously would. But like when I went through this like sexual assault, I didn't even realize and wasn't able to name that that's what it was until like 10 years later. It was just like, Oh, a bad mistake that I had made. And I like got too drunk or whatever. So I think the process of like writing about all of that and revisiting it and also kind of mourning the like sexual freedom that I had that felt like it was taken away from me, like without my consent is tied into this like celibacy moment where I'm like redefining what sex really means to me. I love that you brought up self-imposed celibacy which i talk about it on multiple episodes of the podcast including with nina hartley Mm -hmm. who's got the longest running career of any woman in porn she wrote a great book which i think everyone should own called nina hartley's total guide to sex Mm -hmm. and she's pansexual she's a registered nurse she's amazing but we she so this is someone who's having sex on camera for a living for the last since the 80s Mm -hmm. and she talks about the value of of sexual celibacy i think there is a um real energetic exchange when we have sex when we have penetrative sex with someone Mm -hmm. and it takes a long time for that to clear and it's i think it's really important to to reclaim your you know your vagina or whatever part of your body for yourself and there's value in it and uh, you know i think we look at that again with judgment like oh how sad how lonely yeah you're not having sex but no but you there like yeah but you could be having sex with yourself and you could be giving yourself mind-blowing orgasms and also this word sex like what does that even mean like we can define sex in different ways Mm -hmm. you know you can be like licking or touching or fingering and not having penetration you know there's all sorts of things that we can consider sex and i you know i think there's value in like being strong enough in your decision making to say this isn't for me right now yeah and going inward and being like like a a recent revelation was thinking about times when i've like had sex and really enjoyed it and it's been like amazing and then times where i wish that i like hadn't had sex and what goes into those experiences what makes it great versus like a no and i feel like one of the things was really getting clear on like what are my motivations when I go into a sexual experience? Like, am I doing it because I'm really turned on and like, like really desperately want to fuck this person? In which case, usually it's the best because you're like seeing something through, you're excited about it. Or am I doing this because I feel like I need to, or like I want this person to like me, or I'm like trying to make up for something that's like not there in this relationship. And so getting like really honest about that kind of stuff and then being able to say like, okay, I need, like, I want to set a boundary with myself that like, 
these are the parameters under which I feel comfortable engaging sexually is a big deal, like moving forward. I 100% agree. And it goes back to what I was saying is using sex as a way of escape or filling a hole or the same way you like eat a pizza or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just being conscious of that. Why am I doing this? I mean, after my father passed away a few years ago and I was very close with him, he had a long battle with cancer and I was, you know, with him through it and holding his hand. And it really, I was so vulnerable and, and sad and, and, um, you know, I just didn't feel like I could have sex. That was mm-hmm. a period. I've had a couple of periods of self-imposed celibacy, but during that time, I also let one of my very close oldest friends, Bethany Vernon, who we have a great podcast episode with. She's, um, a mistress of the ropes and wrote a book, the boudoir Bible, mm-hmm. an uninhibited guide to sex. She has this incredible dungeon in Paris where she designed and she makes erotic jewelry and she'd always wanted to tie me up. Yeah. And so I had this really long experience with her tying me up during this period of like grieving and mourning. Mm -hmm. Six hours. Wow. Like really, you know, extreme bondage, which I'd never done before. And to do it with someone I trusted and a woman and you know real was like oh, okay i don't like being hogtied that's not for me but it, you know it was beautiful it looked yeah. like this insane like braided corset so intricate and super intricate and she's all of the knots are at the base of my back mm-hmm. and then you know on a long r- ropes which she's holding and she kept saying to me the whole time remember your breathing remember your yoga be in your body and at the end of it when i was ready to come out she was like let me do this exercise with you this trust exercise like, you know, that game when you're a kid and you fall backwards, mm-hmm. trust. So she had me fall forwards. But before I hit the ground, she's holding me. So I'm like literally suspended. Yeah. And it was so freeing. It's a real, She works with a lot of people who've been assaulted or mm-hmm. had sexual trauma. And I... It was it was incredible because I really learned so much about boundaries and I felt I felt so supported and so safe and all these things that I, you know, but it was a way to have a sexual sexual healing experience without being penetrated, not with, you know, with someone I, I knew and I trusted. Yeah. So there's just like all sorts of different ways. If you open your mind a little bit. Yeah, I feel like I'm coming out like into that space where it's like, I don't know if I'm ready to like engage with another person, but I'm curious about any sort of like healing experiences like that, where it can feel like a reset almost Mm -hmm. and like the ending of one chapter and like the beginning of a new one, I think is really important. And I didn't realize that that's something that you can absolutely do in terms of like sex and sexuality. Like you're in charge of the narrative of like closing that door and like healing that wound and like reframing it and growing from it. Yeah. Well, bravo to you. It takes a lot of strength and bravery to do that because you're, you know, we are constantly surrounded by people saying to us, well, the only way to get over someone is to get under someone or, you know, well, just, yeah, exactly what you said. Get back out there. Like you're not having sex. You're going to grow cobwebs. You're not going to grow cobwebs. Your pussy is not going to close up. No, it's all going to be just fine. You know, some of the best like sexual experiences I've had were with a really committed partner after doing kundalini yoga together Mm -hmm. for several days and being really in sync which sounds super 
crazy hippie but that doesn't was, sound that crazy it was really just because we were breathing we, you know we were getting calm and centered and we could be more like connected in the moment mm-hmm. you know that said sometimes it's great to have like a, a quick fuck whatever is right for you just make sure it's right for you yeah and don't compare and despair if you do you have like resources for because i'm now thinking of readers and i feel like with women and sex workers like women seeking out a sex worker is more taboo than like it's like i feel like we all are just like oh men and prostitutes like that's not at all not at all a lot of our episodes of our podcast are are with sex female sex workers who Mm -hmm. talk a lot about working with women like bethany vernon who i just mentioned midori who wrote the bible on japanese rope bondage barbara corellis who teach it who has a great book called urban tantra Mm -hmm. and is more of sort of the esoteric breath breath work energy work energy orgasms Alice Little, who's the um, highest paid legal sex worker in the States, has sons of female clients. And I I will say that in the fetish bondage scene, I just know so many women Mm -hmm. that are getting into that space because they want to heal trauma. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to think about like any sort of BDSM related to trauma healing, like it off the top of your head, it sounds like it wouldn't make sense, but then it totally does. Which is why I had to really experience it for myself to, yeah. to understand that. And one of my best friends is, is Dita Von Tees, who's a burlesque queen, but she also um, is really, really got her start in fetish and mm-hmm. is a fetish queen. So just having someone in my life who I was so close with and, you know, professionally and personally know a lot of people in that world i felt like there was i needed to experience that firsthand to really understand it as opposed to just reading about it or observing it yeah and until i had that experience of bethany really tying me up and doing the trust game i never would have made that connection but since then i've you know gone to her salon in paris and done and taught her led her in a yoga class Mm -hmm. and then she put me in the ropes like in my, you know, thrasher hoodie and yeah. and leggings in a heart opening pose mm-hmm. using the ropes. And she, you know, put me on the, you know, she has this beautiful like plush green velvet and, and, uh, and wooden, I don't know what it's called actually, but you lean over it. It's for spanking. And she mm-hmm. put me on that and used these like tools that she got, um, in, pa- in, uh, San Francisco, good vibrations, which is a great sex toy store, but just did it to like, you know, need my muscles. Yeah. And now she's working on a lot of like, um, like sculptural work that is about putting people in these suspended states of almost like you're like flotation tanks, but using the ropes. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing really sexual per se about it. Yeah. It's more just like physical manipulations that can bring about some Mm -hmm. sort of alchemic reaction. Yeah. Like feeling supported. Yeah. Like, you know, she's told, she tells a great story. I think it's on that podcast of working with a woman who's had so much trauma and at the very end of their, their, sessions together um she let the woman choose her own color of the cords that represented different things to her and then cut herself out of the cords and yeah yeah freeing. i love a cut of anything <laughs> yeah cutting the cords like <laughs> either physically or metaphysically yeah yeah have you are you into like shamans I've, I mean, I've got so many like psychics on speed dial in, yeah. in lots of different parts of the world um I do you go to them all for different things? 
uh just yeah like, like a lot of body workers energy workers i mean i think that's another area of sexual healing that's really great like tantric massage pelvic floor massage i know a lot of a lot of people who who work in that space who mm-hmm. are really incredible sexual surrogates um is another like space adjacent to um psychiatry or sex therapists um uh you know somatic therapy is relatively new to psychotherapy and that's the peter levine kind of pioneered that and that's the idea that so when animals are in the wild and they get attacked they do a shake they shake exactly Mm -hmm. but humans what we do is we seize up so our body stores a lot of trauma that we intellectually we could be over it but it just it's still in us so i'm a big believer in that i mean psychics i think are like it's like therapists that tell you you're gonna be okay yeah. Essentially, that's what it is. It totally, like, I feel like people have a preconception that it's like they're going to tell you, like, when you're going to die or something bad happening to you, but they don't really tell you bad things about your life. They can tell you things to avoid, but the thing is, we have a choice. I believe we have choices mm-hmm. in fate, and you have to take all of it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Everything. I'm a big believer in like people deciding things for themselves. And sometimes like you might not vibe with a, a particular psychic or energy worker and that's all right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I find myself in certain periods of my life when I'm going through like grief or heartbreak gravitating, you know, towards that. And then in other spaces where I'm like, everything's great. I don't, I don't as much, but, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love a psychic moment. Let's do some reader mail. Hi, Lara and weekly guest of honor. Early disclaimer, I know the AOL address is a babe in itself, but let's go with that it's internet vintage. My best friend of 15 years has recently embarked on a self-help journey that's led itself to the point of obvious signs of a cult. As a longtime listener of the pod, I know you've likened your Reformation school experience as cult adjacent, so you'll get this. The first sign, she recently started dating this guy, and coincidentally, the program was referred to her by his mom. His mom and the boyfriend have both done the program. These sessions are held once a weekend in some hotel space by LAX, where there are full day sessions leading up to getting out at midnight, and then having weekly calls with your group slash group leader. You have to commit to showing up, or you get belittled and torn down in front of the group for lack of commitment. Three, there are graduations for each level of the program you complete, basic, advanced leadership level, all, of course, rising in cost as you advance. Four, the breaking point was when her cousin, who's my hairdresser, was invited to my friend's graduation of the basic level. She mentioned that the ceremony was set up with people all in a room in small circles holding hands while a lady in the center of the stage yells over the speaker, you are worth it. This is worth it. You are beautiful. And everyone inside is crying and going through some catharsis that's been no doubt inflicted upon these groups through levels of victim shaming. Last week, finally let us know the name of this self-help program, and it ended up being the MITT program, which upon a quick Yelp search brought me to some one-star reviews, crying that this was a cult from people who'd participated in the past. Now, before the above makes me sound like an asshole friend or someone who's hating on a self-help journey, I'm writing for advice on how to bring it up to her that this sounds like a cult and not to keep wasting her money. The bad news is she's already recruited her little cousin and mother into the program, which also adds to the pyramid scheme of things. Thanks for the lols. Can't wait for Vanderpump to come back. Oh, there's a lot there. There's a lot here. Yeah. I read she linked the reader linked to like a GQ article about a guy that had done one of the workshops and... I, I'd gone 
I went to a boarding school in high school that was like up in the mountains of Northern California that was like very much their therapeutic modalities stemmed from like a cult in Southern California called Synanon, which all revolved around like attack therapy and like working through childhood traumas, but not with like licensed therapists, like just kind of like kooky ex heroin addicts that like found sobriety through those programs. So I'm like, always intrigued by a cult moment but have my red flags up yeah i mean the first thing that i think of when she says how do i bring it up with her it's Mm -hmm. kind of like if your friend's boyfriend or girlfriend is cheating yeah it's pretty much impossible to say something because love is blind and Mm -hmm. you want to see what you want to see and sometimes the same situation like that when someone's engaging in behavior you know that's not healthy for them like what they're going to do is cut you off yeah you know so it's a tricky situation to be in um yeah i think you have one you get like one opportunity to bring it up mm -hmm. and then it whatever happens like that's kind of the last time you really get to voice concern i i always say that with like when people write in like they don't like the boy or woman that their friend or sibling is dating it's like you get one chance and then you have to just let it go you have to let people be on their own journey even if you know it's not if if it's one that you think is detrimental and then my other thing is like with anybody who's selling themselves as a i have a trouble with this because mm-hmm. i mean i can think I, you think you can take a lot of things from different spaces or movements there's a lot of good ideas but if someone is telling you that they are no we are actually everybody who's listening to this you're all gurus mm-hmm. you we all have it inside of us not there is no single human being on this planet that has it all figured out and if they tell you that they're lying yeah and run don't give them your money you know mm-hmm. if you just present yourself honestly as like hey I, these are some things that learned that worked for me that i learned and i want to share them with you that's one thing but yeah anyone who claims like i am going to be the key to change your life you are the key to change your life yeah really or this program is going to be the key to change your mm-hmm. life and now like pay us a lot of money so you can go through it yeah i just don't really buy into that unless like i bu- i buy into therapy like i think that that's real but I, that's you talking your stuff out actually yeah. and you just like making connections and figuring it out mm-hmm. and it really is just based on you doing it which is something i did i am new now back in therapy after like a 10-year hiatus but I guess like when I was in my 20s, I felt way more like I was just like talking and talking and whatever. And now it's like realizing that I'm the one that has to like make the connections and figure it out. It and do the work. Like, yeah. yeah. And I'm yeah. just like, Ugh, this again. <laughs> it's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting to know our patterns and, and how we're going to break them. So yeah, heart goes out to that listener because that's a, that's, a, that's a shitty situation to be in as a friend. Yeah. You could also just like put the Yelp review like on yes. her radar. Send, just be like, wow, found this like wild thing. Like, hope everything is okay. And then like just as like a helpful hint where it's not even like coming from you being like, this is psychotic and you're in a cult. Like just being like, whoa, another weird review popped up. That's crazy. Okay. This one says a petty troll from the spirit world. Hey, Lara, so much love to you, and I truly thank you for all the laws. 
I probably wouldn't have been as receptive to a recent spiritual experience had I not listened to your pod, but weirdly, when Patty Negree was on it, it reawakened a long-lost interest and made me think more about communication with the other side, since I'm also a Gemini and that's one of our strengths. Anyways, fast forward to July when I'm seven months pregnant and we find out something seriously wrong with our baby. Mm. We're trying to figure out what the hell was going on was a true nightmare involving specialist appointments, testing, agonizing waits for result, and basically a gray diagnosis that we're still waiting to confirm with DNA sequencing. However, after consulting with a geneticist and doing some intense soul searching, we decided that ending the pregnancy was the most compassionate course of action. It probably goes without saying, but this was the worst. I also don't want to get political, but for anyone who's confused by stuff they've read online, pregnancies can only ever be ended this late in Canada when there's a threat to life for either the mother or the baby. Although there is technically no federal law that prevents abortion at any time. I digress. Needless to say, after the procedure, I entered an intense period of grief. This was supposed to be our first baby, and I was so excited. Plus, the fucking hormones are unreal. My breast milk came in. It was worse than I could have ever imagined. As part of my healing journey, I ended up trying craniosacral therapy. The practitioner was amazing. Let's call her Susan. And after our second session, shit got really real. Susan doesn't sell herself as a medium or anything, but she asked me if she could share what came up during our session. She said she herself doesn't really even understand, and sometimes she's way off and she wonders if it's her imagination, but I was open to it, so I said, sure, let's hear it. She said she'd encountered a small spirit standing up tall like a warrior. In her mind, she asked if she could call the spirit Angel. The spirit said no. She asked if she could call her Angel Summer, and the spirit said, just Summer is fine. Major chills. Susan then asked if this meant anything to me or if she was way off. She almost seemed embarrassed or worried. By the time I was welling up, even because even though we hadn't named our baby, Summer was always at the top of the list if it was going to be a girl. It was the first name my husband and I ever agreed on, and it was the first name I ever wrote down on our list. Weirdly, I felt so calm after this. For anyone wondering, there's literally no way Susan could have known about it. We simply hadn't told anyone because we planned to wait to meet the baby before we named it. We didn't even know the gender until we got the autopsy report. Anyway, on the way home, the psycho psycho middle-aged Prius driver road raged at me when I pulled over to let an oncoming car through in a construction zone and roared past me on a narrow residential street like a maniac. I had this weird feeling that I should follow him, so I did, and he ended up driving to his house nearby where he parked in front of his own driveway. Light bulb. I suddenly remembered my friend who works for the city telling me that all residential parking tickets are given on a complaint basis since no one patrols those areas. So I called the city, said there was a Prius blocking my driveway, gave them his license plate number, and they sent an agent out to give him a ticket. This is so out of character for me, but honestly, I felt like Summer was with me and guided me to get my revenge because she's my mischievous little angel baby. It felt like we were lolling together about the whole thing, and it's not like I keyed his car any or anything. It was just good, clean fun. I feel like some readers may be thinking, babe, and I totally don't blame them, but I myself think this is a total babe. I love my baby girl so much, and now I feel like I can tune into her energy sometimes, and that gives me so much strength and comfort. Thank you, Lara, and thanks to all the readers, the amazing stories that helped inspire me to share mine, love and light. Wow. Wow. That's beautiful. That's amazing. I love... Do you have a lot of connections to like the spirit world? And I, I do, and, and both my grand, parent, grandmothers did, and my mom as well. I've had dreams since I was a little kid that I 
write down that have come true. My mom, my mom too. And what I want to say one thing about her story is that um, a lot of people know, may know what a doula is, mm-hmm. that someone that assists you in, in birth. But doulas also, um, there are a lot of doulas and a great doula, Erica Chitty Cohen, who's based in LA, who we have a podcast with, is also an abortion doula or oh, miscarriage okay. doula. So we think about the support that people need as they experience birth. But you also need that support when you experience miscarriage or the end of a pregnancy or abortion because mm-hmm. there's so much grief and trauma going on psychologically and in your womb that needs healing and needs clearing. So what a gift that this letter writer got to have some message that gave her comfort and strength. Yeah. You know, through this, because that's, that's a really heavy process and we don't hold a lot of space for that. No, I feel like we're just now, it's kind of coming to the forefront, like end of pregnancies, abortion, or like having to choose like a late term abortion situation. And like, that's a very real thing. And especially in this person's situation, it's like having a baby without having a baby. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Wow. That's going to sit with me for a while. What an incredible, what incredible letters you get. Yeah. The readers are amazing. They come like have so many good stories and like feel good sharing them. And I'm just like happy that they write in. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you for having me. Um, tell everyone where they can find you and your amazing site and podcast. They can find us on the sexed.com. So T H E S E X E D.com. And our podcast is the sex ed wherever you stream. And our Instagram is the sex ed. And my personal one is Goldilocks G, um, G O L D I L O C K S G. It's my third Instagram because I've been kicked off several times. For what? Posting uh, posting art mm-hmm. and vintage pinup and, you know. Instagram's the prudest space. Yeah, they are. They We get shadow banned all the time. Yeah. It's crazy because of our content. I've, like, I've experienced that with my um, Instagram account, Cosmo Sex Tips, that I don't even really run anymore because it was just like every time I posted, then I'd get kicked off for just writing like funny captions, not even like explicit pictures or anything. But and then Dan like, Bilzerian has like millions of followers and posts whatever it's he insane. wants. It's a total double standard. And the subject of our season finale next week, which is about AI mm-hmm. and sex, AI and sex and health and consciousness. And, you know, I just went down such a rabbit hole. But the thing is when people are, who are building all the products that we use on a daily basis all look the same, they build products made for the same type of person, which is a straight white man. And yeah. they don't take into account other experiences. And so the algorithms favor those people. Whoa. You yeah. just blew my mind with yeah. that. Don't even get me started on like facial recognition software and how it's built for white faces. Well, maybe we can get into that on the <laughs> bonus episode. Yeah. <laughs> if um, you guys want to access a bonus episode, you can do it by going to patreon.com slash babe podcast. And uh, other than that, love and light. Bye.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.